invite you, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to start our Christmas series and talks this year, and um, we're going to kind of talk about the songs of the season. Today's Joy to the World. Luke chapter 2 says this, now in the days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governor, was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Uh, because he was of the house and family line of David. So he registered along with Mary who was engaged to him and was pregnant. Uh, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him, in snugly, wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough. Because uh, there was no room for them at the inn. That's interesting, snugly. I was, uh, I had the joy of being able to hold a little Aurora Marie this last week. And, 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 and just that little eight pound, one ounces was so tight and snugly. But what's interesting is, is we were in a hospital room, very comfortable, people all around. Uh, very much unlike probably what Jesus experienced. Well, verse 8, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Uh, then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Joy to the world. Why? Well, today a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. And this will be a sign for you. Uh, you will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Uh, have, you, have you ever considered or thought, what would happen if Jesus wasn't born or didn't come to earth? Have you ever thought about that? See, we often think about Jesus as, well, he's a part of my little life. And obviously he's a part of this little church, this little outpost in Martinez, California. But how often do we really stand back and look and recognize the scope, the awe-inspiring life of what Jesus Christ has done through history. Because it's so easy to have him out of sight, out of mind. We understand that he brought salvation to the world. But sometimes we forget about the, really the total influence. There's a biography by Walt Disney's daughter that she wrote uh, soon after he died. And she tells the story that when she was a little girl, she was, you know, she really didn't, you know, she knew who Walt Disney was, but she didn't know who Walt Disney was. And she went to school one time when she was around five or six, early on, and, and all of a sudden the kids started saying things to her like, well, your, your dad's Walt Disney, you know, Mickey Mouse and Pluto and, 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 and all those animals, the Magic Kingdom, you know that? And she really hadn't been able to put it together. So she went home one day and she said, Dad, how come you never told me you're Walt Disney? 
And I think it's, 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 it's a little bit like that for us. We're so close. We become so familiar. We hear the stories. We kind of live and walk with Jesus that we really forget what he has done. So today I want to take about, I want to do kind of a historical flyby. I want to do kind of a, 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 a look at Jesus from 30,000 feet. And a lot of the stuff that I'm going to talk about this morning, you can go to history books, you can go to Christian history books, and you can find and get some of the backlog on it. Time doesn't permit me to go through all of it. But I'm, I'm, I'm just, again, I want to be awed. I want you to be awed. I want us to live in awe of this living Christ who has done so much throughout history, let alone save the people from their sins, you and me. But the influence of his life. See, John wrote this, the last verse of his gospel in John 21, 25. He said, there are so many things Jesus did. If they were all written down, each of them, one by one, I can't imagine a world big enough to hold such a library of books. I mean, imagine, if, you, if we just took out of, the, uh, out of history, and even today, if you took everything that had the name of Christ or God on it and extracted it from the universe, there wouldn't be, you, you know what, you wouldn't have any money in your pocket. You would have very little around you, really. See, we sometimes forget the influence through the centuries of this one man. Who is this man, Jesus? See, we're impressed today. We confuse today celebrity with influence because we think that, well, boy, if Ashton Kutcher, if he's got 5,000 people on Twitter, and if another celebrity says, I want to load up my Facebook, and they have millions of people on their Facebook, and every time they little tweet or twat or twat or whatever they do... <laughs> We think that's impressive because somebody follows it. I'm going to go use the bathroom before I go on stage. Oh, that's influence. Give me a break. But that's, we have it really confused. Because Jesus has so many more followers because of the influence of his life. I mean, think about it. Could we find, could, 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 I don't know that we could find or choose a less likely candidate to change the world than Jesus. God worked this all out so that a couple from Nazareth who would be in Bethlehem at just the right time for Jesus to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Why? To fulfill Old Testament prophecies and Old Testament promises. And Jesus, he's wrapped up there in this little bundle of clothes. And they get to hold him. He didn't come in wealth, but in poverty. He didn't come to a big city. He came to a small town. He doesn't come to known parents who had a lot. He was birthed and born, well, to a peasant couple. And he's laid on his first throne. It wasn't a bassinet or a crib. It was a feeding trough of an animal. Jesus God enters into, into humanity, into this world, this universe, very humbly. He wasn't a political figure. He had no connections with Herod, the religious Sanhedrin, Rome, the ruling, conquering leader of the world at that time. He had no military action. He never wrote a book. He never traveled extensively. His followers were relatively unknown, uneducated, unimportant people. The New Testament records that, says that very specifically about them. The people said they're unschooled. They're ordinary men. But then it also says, but... We could tell that they had been with Jesus. That's influence. 
2,000 years later, it's a stretch for us to imagine our world apart from God, Jesus Christ, who entered it and his imprint upon it. Imagine a world without its most influential movement. Jesus gave to the world the church. When he came, after he died, he ascended in Acts chapter 1, as we talked about in our deal, and he gave, he gave his disciples this commission. And he said, I want you to ultimately, to extensively infiltrate and influence the world. But imagine a world with, if Jesus hadn't come, no church. There'd be no Notre Dame. There'd be no St. Paul's Cathedral. There'd be no storefront churches. There'd be no home churches. There'd be no Creekside. Imagine the people that we wouldn't have. There would have been no Peter, there'd been no Paul, John the Baptist, no Timothy, no Augustine, no Francis of Assisi, no Mother Teresa, no Martin Luther, no Martin Luther King Jr., no John Wesley, no John Calvin, no Jacobus Arminius, no Christopher Stites. We wouldn't have had anybody. <laughs> Think about it. All of those people are where they are and known today because of Jesus Christ. I mentioned Walt Disney. Anybody ever been on a ride called It's a Small, Small World? You know that song that after you go through the ride one time, it drives you simply crazy? And then your kids want to go through it again, or maybe you, some of you do, I know. You go through it again, it gets in your, gets in your dish, and then we're, we're sitting here this morning, and you're thinking, oh great, Pastor, now I'm going to be thinking about that the rest of the time. And it's going to drive me crazy. It's a small, small world, you know. You know how it goes. Where did that idea come from? Where, where, where did that idea come from? It's a small, small world. The idea that people of every gender, every nationality, every status could somehow come together and be like a family. <laughs> well, consider again the idea of the church. In the ancient world, there were nations and families and ethnic groups and, and guilds and tribal religion, philosophical schools. But the church was none of these. Paul said it this way about the church. In here there is no Greek or Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no bar barbarian. There's no Scythian. There's no slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. Therefore is God's chosen people holy and dearly beloved. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now think with me. Where before Jesus... Where before this Jesus was there a movement of the church? Was there a movement that actively sought to include every single human being regardless of nationality, ethnicity, status, wealth, gender, moral background, education, where people could be included and ultimately become transformed? You can't find those in history. Now, I'm not saying that apart from Jesus, these things would have never happened. But he is the one who in his life, in a small community, his followers have begun a vision of humanity as family that he ushered in. Oh, who is this man, Jesus? Well, Jesus changed how we think about history. 
Most ancient cultures thought of existence in their day as just this, this, this cycle that gets repeated over and over and over. The reality is most often this endless repetitions of ups and downs, ups and downs, cycles. Seasons come and go. But guess what? Followers of Jesus Christ... Followers of God, Yahweh, begin to see history as a story. That it had movement, that it had purpose. That it ultimately, that somewhere God was leading history to a destination. It wasn't just cycles of up and down, Kesarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. See, Luke, Luke tells us about when Jesus was born, and we read it today. He says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken for the entire Roman world. This took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. See, that's a long way to date something, don't you think? I mean, why didn't Luke just say, uh, Jesus was born in um, B.C. 6? Well, that's not the system of Luke's day in that region. They would uh, date events by the reign of the reigning ruler and emperor. In the first year of the reign of Augustus and so on. Over time, the power of every Caesar began to fade. Why? Because power always fades. But isn't it interesting that through the course of history, this one person that probably no Caesar ever knew of personally, maybe never heard of, wow, through the centuries has only gained power and momentum. Jesus Christ, his vision continues to grow. This unknown carpenter kept growing. You probably know that B.C. and A.D., the dating system, is not taught in the Bible. While B.C. does stand for before Christ, A.D. actually stands for the Latin phrase, Anno Domini. That means in the year of our Lord. See, by the 6th century, 600 years after Jesus had died, there was a, a Scythian monk who was living in Rome, and he proposed a new system for marking history and the calendar. Uh, his name was Di, uh, Dionysius Exegus, which in Latin means Dennis the Menace. No, um, <laughs> it, it literally means Dennis the Little or Dennis the Small. And he got that name not because he was short, but because he was such a humble, humble monk. Now, he's best known for creating the Anno Domini uh, era of the calendar because his suggestion was this, that the calendar be centered on the incarnation of this carpenter by the name of Jesus. This, this carpenter who turned itinerant preacher, rabbi, never hold an office, never had a book. But let's make him the focal point of the calendar. See, the creation of the calendar then as we know it today, it's not simply a chronological convenience, but it becomes a theological statement of the life of this God who entered the universe, not on accident, not in the course of a random cycle, but a story, a story of a man who becomes a storyteller of what life is all about. It's, crit it's a critical event as this Jewish rabbi, Jesus Christ, enters into time and space and history. Jesus lived and he died in this little region 
every time any human being anywhere opens up a calendar, unfolds a newspaper, boots up a computer, guess what? There is a sense and we're reminded that Jesus Christ is in fact the hinge of history. Who, who is this man, Jesus? Jesus lived and died in this little region. Probably no Caesar heard of his existence, but guess what? Jesus was called King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Revelation 17, 14, in the first century by one of his followers, John. You know, with, by that time, just probably thousands, just not, not a large following, definitely not what Ashton Kutcher, Kutcher has on his Twitter it would have numbered in the thousands his followers when that statement was made. It would have been laughable for anyone to make a big deal about that. Maybe for some of you sitting here today that could even be laughable to see Jesus Christ as Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Because it still is for a lot of the world. Because everybody just sees him still. Well, he's a good teacher. Jesus changed how we arrange our time. Without Jesus, there'd be no Sunday as we know it. See, the Sabbath was invented by the people of Israel, the only ancient culture who deliberately and purposely gave a, gave a day up of potential economic gain as a statement of their trust in Creator God and that He would be the one that would ultimately provide and take care of life for them. But by the end of the first century, guess what? Christians started to meet on a different day. Not the seventh day, not Saturday, but the first day. Why did they begin to change this to meet on the first day? Well, because Sunday is the first day. That was the day of the resurrection. Sunday would eventually, guess what? Become the world's day off. The resurrection of Jesus rearranged our time. The whole idea of what we call holidays really began as what, through history, if you'll see it, uh, was called holy days. To remember God, the creator of the universe. See, Jesus shapes how we express our compassion. Most humans have a capacity for compassion, but Jesus' movement shaped it in so many ways. In ancient Greece and ancient Rome in Jesus' time, it was usually the beautiful, the noble, the well-skilled, the articulate... They could do something that were often um, looked up to and admired. And much in our, like on our day today. But it was the women, the children, the widows, the sick, the old, that were marginalized, pushed out, not taken care of. But not in this little community that Jesus started called the church. These people remembered that they followed somebody who made this statement and modeled it when he said, let the little children come unto me. The people of this small ragtag movement would take in abandoned children. This community of people remembered that they followed somebody who told his friend, one of his followers, who was one of the few that was with him at the cross as he was dying. He said, this is my mama. I want you to take care of her. This little movement started taking in and caring for widows and orphans. They made it part of their life's work. In James chapter 1, we see Jesus' half-brother literally says, Guess what? If you want to know what faith really is, listen. It's taking care of the widows and the orphans, the needy. 
the disenfranchised, the marginalized. That's what true and undefiled religion is all about. See, that day, people would throw out bodies of the old, the sick in the streets. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Folks in this little community called the church, they would bring in the sick people they didn't even know at the risk of harm for their own lives. And they would take care of them. Why? Because they knew that their the, the one they followed, their leader cared for lepers. He touched and ministered to the blind, the deaf, the lame the marginalized, the disenfranchised. Through the centuries, think about it. How the movement of the church grew. And today, you'll hear groups called what? The Salvation Army. Well, it started by a young Christian man named William Booth who gave, who gave humanitarian aid to the needy. And then he would physically, he would meet their physical needs in the model of Jesus. And then he would preach salvation to them spiritually. All of this, and you can, and I could give you examples upon examples throughout history, but I want to give you some of the ones that you're familiar with. All of this becomes systemic to this little child that we celebrated this season that didn't stay a child. He was not just simply this little baby in a manger in a feeding trough on a Christmas card. He influenced history, not by Twitter, not by Twit, not by Facebook, but by his life. Whenever you say the words World Vision or YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association, whenever you go to a hospital called St. Jude, the Good Samaritan, St. Anthony's, guess what? You are speaking literally of the movement, the systemic established foundation of the movement of Jesus Christ and the influence of his life through the centuries into today. Now this is not to say that there would not have been compassionate organizations probably come forth worldwide without Christianity. But very often, those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, we do, we fall short in this area. But many groups that are out there today have originated through the centuries from this little band of followers. Who is this man, Jesus Christ? Well, well, uh, this Jesus and this Jesus movement shaped education. Hear this verse. It was, it was one of the key statements that the Israelites would make to one another, to their children in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema. It had priority and precedence in their lives. And it said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And that was almost like a mantra to them. It was the central tenet of Judaism. But now, fast forward, centuries later, Jesus gives us his version. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus adds a little bit to it. He talks about the mind. Why? Jesus was a teacher in essence. He came, he was a savior, but he was also a teacher. He taught about the kingdom of God. Some of the greatest uh, preservers of pagan classical documents were followers of Jesus Christ. Before that, there was, there was documents that obviously were kept. But more often than not, there was this thing called pericopes that was passed down. It was, a pericopes were oral tradition. Most of what happened was simply passed down verbally. Passed on to the generations through pericopes. But all of a sudden, 
Because Jesus elevated the mind and the thinking, especially in that time with the Greek philosophers that was taking place. And guess what? Over the years, these little followers of Jesus, they become, they started finding their place in monasteries and becoming uh, monastic leaders. And then they would begin to write and copy down. Obviously, they didn't have printing presses back then, but they'd, they'd write and copy down things that were said in, in classical literature as well as biblical. Why? Because they understood that all truth comes from God. And it's to be cherished. Because one of the ways that we can love God is with our mind, the church then began to build schools and universities to educate young people. Why were these called universities? Well, because they reflected the idea that in the beginning, God created all things. Universe. Universities. The, 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 the reality, our life is not simply a random cyclical accident. God is supremely rational. There is a reality that can be studied. We can learn from the sciences. From the universe. A university would study grow in understanding the universe around them. You want to see how influ influential Jesus was to the rise of education in our own country. 92% of the first 138 colleges were founded in America. And they were begun by followers of God. This uneducated, itinerant rabbi who never wrote a book. This carpenter named Jesus. Who, who is this man? That Jesus and his band of followers changed how we think about human rights, about our personal worth, and about our dignity. Yes, he came to save people because ultimately we're sinners. That is a truth. But the other side of the truth is, the two-sided coin there is we are made in the image of God. And we have value. That's why God sent his only son to die for us. Not because we're so bad, but because we have such great need. Because the truth is we're sinners. But because God loves us, he created us. Well, the purpose of Jesus is that we would begin to look like our creator. The founding document for our country says this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And have been endowed by their creator with certain rights. We love that, don't we? Where does that come from? Where does that thought come from? Because I don't know about you, but it's not really all that self-evident to a lot of people that they feel that way. See, I believe it came from the idea that all human beings have been made by God in His image. And they're loved by God. They are the target of everything that God does. He doesn't look down on us. He came to us. And we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. Emmanuel, God with us. See, this idea of human worth reached its zenith in the expression by the Apostle Paul when he said there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one. All one. We're not separated. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Thomas Cahill wrote this. This is the first expression of egalitarianism in human history. That every human being has equal dignity and worth. 
This would have been a totally foreign concept before the church, before Jesus Christ. Now all individuals and nations, including nations that have thought of themselves as Christian, have fallen. And we do fall all so short of living this out. But you see, the power of Jesus' teaching, his life and his presence, he has this submersive way of refusing to stay submerged. He always pops up. He breaks through. That is why almost every positive movement that we've seen throughout history has been led in some way, shape, or form by the God's word or a follower of Jesus Christ. Take the abolitionist movement. Even the way they communicated had to do with the life and scope of the Bible. The songs that they would sing would focus on Jesus, the deliverer, the redeemer, the one that would bring them out of Israel. Well, out of, I mean, excuse me, out of Egypt and bring them out of slavery. You see, Jesus is teaching his life and his presence keeps breaking through barriers. That's why reform movements move forward. Because God is part of it. Who is this man? Who, who can influence like that? Jesus uniquely taught us how to deal with people. He says, I want you to love your enemies. No, I don't want to do that. That's hard. Well, you know, he said this, turn the other cheek, go with them two miles, love your enemy, bless those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Oh, that's what a son, that's what a daughter does. But see, Jesus didn't just, he didn't just tell us to do it. He modeled and showed us how. See, this idea of love your enemies is not a, is not a natural human idea, isn't it? None of us here would say, you know, I think I'm just going to get up today and do something special for my enemy. That's what I really feel like doing. No, it's, that is so unnatural. And it's never been part of the, the ilk of humanity. It only happens when somebody comes into your life and says, I want to show you how to do it. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He was on the cross before these people that were executing him. And he said simply this, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus created a community of people who would actually love this way. You want to read a great book, read the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Many of these earlier followers, most of the earlier followers of Jesus lived the message. And they ended up giving their life. They were martyred that first century and then through the centuries. Because Jesus, they died for their love for Jesus because they saw what he did. Who is this man that people would do that? Who is this man, Jesus? See, he is the hinge of history. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I want to invite the worship team to come out here. He is the Lord of lords. He's the greatest teacher who ever lived. He sparked the greatest movement that humanity and mankind has ever experienced. He is offering us the greatest gift that we could ever have. He alone grows more present and more powerful with each passing year. He is not forgotten. He is the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. That's who Jesus is. See, this is all about historical influence of Jesus. But what does it mean? Well, I'll tell you, loved ones, that there is a present and future tense reality to his life today. It, it, it speaks to us and comes to us today, but into eternity. And my question would simply be, by faith, have you really connected with the person of Jesus Christ? 
Do you really remember and understand and see the influence that he has had? Not simply for one day, one time, one season, one thirty-three years, but through history to today. And it's going to go into eternity. Well, Paul kind of gives us an introduction to Jesus. This is what he says in 1 Timothy 2, 5. Who is this man? Paul says, for there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man. Uh, who is this man? The man is Christ Jesus. There's no way that we can get to God on our own. God became man so that he could reconcile us. Every man and every woman to bring us back to God by dealing with the sin problem. And he did this by coming and living among us and then dying on the cross. And all Paul is doing in this verse is simply echoing Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Listen, loved ones, it's not about morality. It's not about spirituality. It's not about good works. It's not about trying harder. It's about the man, the mediator, Jesus Christ. See, his influence just isn't on history. But it's so much more than we ever think about. But it's what he has accomplished for you, for me, for us in humanity. All of this influence is to point out the fact that at this season and every season beyond it, you and me need Jesus Christ. You don't get to Jesus by working hard and trying to get up to him. This season is about God in the flesh descending to come to us to take away our sins to give us his righteousness to bring us into relationship with the father but we have to respond we respond in humility and in repentance by turning and going another direction we turn away from this world system that just totally rejects this man Jesus and we turn to him. Listen, loved ones, this is what joy to the world is all about. There is a universal application. He said it here. It's to bring joy for all the people. But it only happens personally through a personal receiving of that relationship. You don't get it because you just sit here on Sunday. You don't get it because you just read your Bible. You get it because you invite this babe who became a man who still is, is fully involved in history today. You get it because you say, I need a Savior. And as good as I am in the image of God, I still need Jesus because I'm still a sinner. And that's why he came. Would you stand with me?